the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 117 for August 27th, 2007. <laughs> Greetings, folks. Uh, I'm Dave, and I'm the guy that used to fix the flashing 12 o'clock on the VCR when I was in high school. The what? You know, we're all What's geeks here. Remember, the- I know you when you were in high school, John, you, you know, and you were in, in class and they'd wheel in the cart with the TV and the VCR and the VCR was always flashing 12 o'clock and the teacher would look and say, hey, uh, does anybody here know how to make it stop flashing 12 o'clock? You were the guy that got up and did it just like I was. No, I'm the guy who put electrical tape over all of those so they wouldn't flash anymore and no one would pester me. See, there you go. Ingenuity. Well, you got to make the work last, though. Putting the electrical tape over, that's only once. Then they expect you to do something else brilliant next. Yeah, but at least it's a more interesting toy. Like Mm. the new PC or the Apple. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. Uh, So here we are back for another week of... uh, all things Mac and beyond. John and I have a ton of stuff to go through today. Uh, a bunch of your questions. I think next week, I think next week will be a review cast. Uh, yes, I believe so. I think, I think we're ready to, uh, to do one here. You know what? We're, we're just going to work do- on the Mac observer labs. Yeah. Just ripping apart and putting back together. If we can, that's right. Things so, that we know you are interested in. Well, at least I am personally, I'm working with the vendor now. And actually, yeah, we're going to have a uh, conference call tomorrow, but I think we're going to iron out some issues. Awesome. So. All right. So, yeah, next week will be a review cast. Then after that, we'll do some questions. And I think the week after that, we'll do our switcher show. So if you are a switcher, if you used to be a switcher or if you are thinking of being a switcher, i.e. don't yet have a Mac, but are still a uh, listener. And I know there's a lot of you send in your questions, your comments, your experiences. Try and pull them all together and, uh, and see what we can do. Where would I send them? You, <laughs> thank you very much, John. You would send them to feedback at macgeekgab.com or you could call 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335. That's right, 4335 for those of you without letters on your telephone. And with that, we will uh, we'll go to an anonymous caller. Hey, John and Dave, got an interesting one. Love the show. I uh, have an external hard drive connected FireWire 800, HFS Plus, and this morning, I had a power outage. Uh, my stuff isn't on a UPS yet. I've ordered one. But I know that my stuff took a hit for a little bit. Um, and now, on one of my two external hard drives, whenever I go to delete an item, it says the item name will be deleted immediately. Are you sure you want to continue? And that's scary in the fact that the trash is no longer working. And I'm thinking that I lost ownership or something with a file permission thing, but I'm not exactly sure what. So uh, do you have any idea what's going on here? Cut the call now. All right. Uh, yeah, this was an interesting one. So typically, I think, I think you're right. I think you're, you're heading down the right path with permissions here. I've, I've seen this not with a damaged drive, but I've seen it with network volumes where uh, if you connect to a drive that you don't have uh, quite enough permissions on to say create things or can't create a new folder up in the hierarchy 
and you go to delete something, it'll say, look, I'm going to delete this right now because you don't have the permissions to do this. So <clears throat> stands oh. to, yeah, stands to reason that it's a permissions issue. And if it is, then uh, either running a repair permissions or, you know, because it's a firewire drive, go to the finder, highlight the drive, choose get info and uncheck that box that says, uh, what's the magic box? I don't have a firewire disk on this computer, but something about uh, use permissions when, when managing this device. Um, that should mount it without any permission usage and you should be able to work. If you want those permissions, though, doing a repair permissions should solve the problem. Um, but you probably also want to run disk utility or something on it to not just verify and repair permissions, but verify and repair the disk. You know, our favorite is disk warrior, but, uh, or at least my favorite is, but, um, but you know, disk utility or, or starting up, I guess you can't start up in, in single user mode to do an FSCK. So disk yeah, utility. Take in a little know. bit. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about trash, right? Mm-hmm. And permissions. Now the thing is in, OS 10 with the finder for most things, if you highlight them and you get info, you will get a boatload of info, including towards the end of the info box, permissions and access things, which, uh, you know, you can expand on, but they usually include. Um, but anyways, you can't do that with the trash normally. Right. So we won't go into too much detail right now. We may later about permissions because that's that's always it, it's good, but it's bad. It's That's bad right. when it doesn't work. But anyways, <laughs> so the thing is, how do you know what the permissions are? Where Where is your trash? I mean, when you look, it, it's an icon, okay. But if you click on it, you can't do a get info. You can't do a get info like other things. So what's the deal with that? Well, here's where you, you know, have to use a little terminal foo here and bring up the terminal. And if you want to check... No, so first, if you know, you bring up the terminal, it defaults to your home directory. Well, you do an ls, and it's like, well, where's the trash? I don't see it. Well... Uh, you know, if you're a Unix geek, you know this, but invisible files do not list with ls. So what you want to do is an ls space and then a dash. Now, you probably want to do an a, which means all, including invisible files, which have a period before them, and probably an l, so you get everything, which includes not just the file names, but dates and permissions and stuff. When you do that, you will notice one thing. You see a dot trash, ah, because it's invisible, but now you can see it because you did the l, and then all, and oh, what you'll notice... You can see it huh? because you did the A. I'm sorry. And the L is long. And the, uh, the Right. Thanks for listening. Because <laughs> I'm screwing those up. But anyway, so... And then the A shows you... Um, and, and then what you'll see in the left column here um, is the various permissions for the file. And if you look on trash, dot trash, capital, you know, dot capital trash, you will see on the left uh, some... Letters which may not mean a lot to you, but we're going to tell you what they mean. So the first one we see is D, which means it's a directory. You can cd.trash and see what's in there. But then after that, you will see some permissions. It'll be R, W, and X. Read, write, and execute. Now, you should only see three of those after the D, which means just this user has that ability. You shouldn't see anything past that. Well, you may, but at least on my computer, I don't know about you, Dave, but mine says D, R, W, X. Yeah. Okay. So let, let, let's talk through that very briefly. So you're right. The first uh, character there is either a dash or a D. And if it's a D, it means it's a directory. Mm -hmm. It could also be an S for a sim link, I guess. Um, I, I, and, and maybe one other, but <clears throat> we'll, we'll stick with that for now. And then, and then you've got three sets of three after that. And again, they can either be dash R W or X R means read 
W means write and X means execute. The first three are for the user that owns the folder or file. The next three are for the group that owns the folder or file. And the final three are for everyone. So uh, what John said with the trash is it starts out with a D, meaning it's a directory. RWX, meaning the owner can modify, read, write, and execute. Uh, and then the next six are all dashes, meaning the group cannot read, write, or execute. And all, meaning everyone else, cannot read, write, or execute. But as John said, if there's a problem with the permissions, these might not appear the same way. Right. And uh, yeah, we don't want to go too, too uh, but, but there's something called chmod, and I think ch, there are a couple of Unix commands that can change those, but if you see them, actually, I would say the best thing would be to do, you know, a, a permission uh, fix with a disutility. Yes. Should fix those. Now, the other things you'll see, you'll see two columns, and, and Dave and I discussed this uh, before the show, and it's good we did, because on my machine, the next column um, is the uh, user who owns that directory or has rights to it. And mine is my short username, which is normally um, when you set up your Mac, you, you may not remember this, but everybody has a short username, I guess, because of the limitations of Unix. And mine is an eight character. Uh, my username is longer than that. So it, it uh, cuts it off at eight characters. Um, and I think you have the same thing. So eight or less characters. And then the next is the group that, owns that. Mine says staff, but yours is something different, Dave, because I think the history of my machine is different than yours in that I think my machines have been through several OS X upgrades and right. retain some weirdness. So yours says something a little different for your dot .trash, right? Yeah. And so other things. Dot .trash, there's, there's actually a column in between the, the permissions and the username, and I believe that's the number of blocks that the file takes up on the disk, but I'm not sure. But there's a, a, a column of numbers, and then <laughs> There okay. is username and or user owner name and then group name on a fresh tiger install. I believe in the home directory for the trash owner and group are the same. So for me, it's Dave and Dave. Like John said, though, his is analogous to Dave and staff. And I believe and my my MacBook Pro is actually Dave and staff. Uh but that machine has been through the MacBook Pro hasn't, but that user folder has been through multiple OS migrations. Um, so I, I think that changed. I believe it changed going from uh, um, 10.2 to 10.3 was when that that change happened. And, and now is it, it is permanent. So. Uh, yep. So there you go. And OK, so that's cool. So slight differences and, and also. You could go into dot trash. You could cd dot trash, and that will put you in the dot trash directory. And you could look at those files too. Maybe the permissions on some of those are are not what they should be. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll link to this, but chmod, and the, there are a couple of Unix commands that can change it to what it, it should be. But yeah. But that's where I think we suggest you look first. Let let repair permissions do it. Life's a whole lot simpler if you do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. But if you want to geek out. <laughs> so speaking of trash, we got a comment from Trash Man. Hey, John and Dave, this is the Trash Man from East Oakland, California. I have a question for you guys. I have an old G4, a Yikes, uh, as it was called, a Yikes G4, the first first model of the G4. And um, it doesn't have a DVD-ROM drive in it. It has a CD drive in it. And um, what I want to do is I want to install Panther and then, type, you know, basically I want to install Tiger on it, but 
to do that, I have to install Panther first as my discs that I have that I in my upgrade path. And you know, it's 1039 and then Tiger, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I can't. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to install Panther on this old Yikes since my copy of Panther is on a DVD. Now, the, these Macs will not boot in um, FireWire disk mode where, you know, you hold down the T, uh, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. They won't do that. Um, so, and I don't want to have to, you know, get try to locate the CDs or write Apple to get the CDs to boot. Now, I can put another DVD drive into this machine, but because it's not a native Apple one, I can't boot from it. Um, so I'm sure isn't there some way I can create a disk image of my Panther disks or something like that using my main G5 uh, tower? Hope that makes sense. Um, it's a little scattered there. Anyway, uh, thank you very much. Uh, All right. So there's a couple of things to talk through here. The first is I don't know of any version of Tiger that requires panther to be installed first i mean we're, we're not talking about no. windows here where there's all these multiple things and some are upgrade only and some are fresh install only and some are either or both with os 10 uh correct us if we're wrong here correct me if, if you think i'm wrong john but uh, i don't know I, I think if you if you've got tiger install discs you can just install tiger so we're, we're going to assume Either way, it's, it's pretty much the same process. I mean, you've got a DVD that you're trying to install the OS from, be it Panther or be it Tiger. Uh, it, it doesn't much matter. You've got an issue because you don't have a DVD drive in the machine. And I've yeah. actually got a machine downstairs like this. Um, it runs our, mm -hmm. believe it or not, it runs our FileMaker server. It's a, a G4 with a, a CD drive. So uh, there's a couple of ways to do it. One, you said you've got a G5, and this may be the simplest solution in the end. Take the DVD drive out of the G5. It is an Apple branded DVD drive. Put it in your G4, install from that, take it out, put it back in the G5, and you're done. That's what I'm assuming one we're talking talking the same. Uh, like my G5 has uh, SATA, but your CD drive isn't SATA. Your CD drive is IDE. Uh, you know, I think it is. Yeah. Good call. I'm, so, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. So. Uh, so that that's one option, or ATA, I guess would be the right uh, terminology. There. Mm -hmm. But but anyway, uh, I believe the CD drive, the DVD drive from your G5 would work. That's option one. Option two would be to repartition the drive in mm. your uh, in your G4, and then copy the DVD image to it. Again, you'd you'd still need a way of of getting that hard drive, maybe move that hard drive over to your G5. Uh, again, on the IDE bus or the, excuse me, the ATA bus and uh, and do it that way. I, really, though, I, because you don't have uh, un unless you you can make an. Oh, here's here's option option number three. Mm -hmm. uh, you wow. can make an image of the DVD on your G5, beam it over to your uh, G4 over the network. And again, you'd still need to repartition the drive or put another hard drive in that you could uh, then burn the image back to effectively and then, uh, you know, restore, use disk utility to restore yeah. the image to uh, a drive partition and then boot from that. That's actually what I've done uh, with the FileMaker server downstairs, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I knew that going in, so I was able to kind of partition the drive with, with that in mind. So Yeah, and my call would be, uh, I would, if I was doing this, yeah, would be to use something like Carbon Copy Cloner and 
take the installed DVD on another system, copy it all over to another hard drive that's compatible with whatever interface you have in that machine. And usually almost every Mac has at least an additional connector for another hard drive. Every desktop Mac, that is. Yeah, desktop Mac, yes, correct. Um, we do that. Now, the thing is, uh, and you know, Apple, you, you love them, you hate them, but uh, they used to. Now, the thing is, so I poked around, because I remember this, is that you know people were going from old to new hardware, and at that point, when Tiger came out, not a lot of people had DVDs, or there was a substantial population that had CDs, while they had a media exchange program, where if you took your old DVDs with the computer you got, right. and you... Uh, or with the OS you got, and you, I think it was $10, and you had to ship back the old CDs. You got, uh, I'm sorry, DVDs, which you couldn't use. You would get CDs back, which you could use. And as far as I can tell, that program expired. They extended it, extended it. But, you know, if you poke around on eBay or a couple of other sites, you can get the CD version of Tiger. So that is a last-ditch effort, though I think it spans, you know, multiple... <laughs> But hey, but hey. I, I would go for the, I, I like the hard drive, you know, the, throw it all on a hard drive if you have an additional hard drive connector and you have an extra hard drive that is big enough to hold all the DVD contents. Yeah, which so. it should be. I mean, even a, even an old six gig drive, I think will do it, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So, Our sponsor for this show is Audio Engine with the A5 and now the A2 desktop speakers. Uh, I haven't personally had a chance to check out the A2s, but I I did talk to Ricky Spiro, who is back from his uh, summer abroad, and he's actually got a set of them. And he says they sound fantastic. Uh, they, They are a smaller footprint than the A5s. The A5s have a different setup with them. Uh, they've got more inputs and uh, and a rounder sound. But uh, from what I understand, the A2s uh, and Ricky's review should be coming on iPod Observer probably at some point this week, but it's not up yet. <clears throat> but the A5s and the A2s from Audio Engine USA, uh, two-way speakers. These are desktop speakers, meaning they are uh, separate units. You can put uh, one on the left side of your desk and one on the right side of your desk. <laughs> Each of them has two speakers in it, a tweeter and a woofer. The sound they deliver is very, very full. Fantastic little speaker cabinets. All available at AudioEngineUSA.com. The A5s are $349, and the A2s are now $199. So check it out at AudioEngineUSA.com. Awesome. Hello, so- my name is Scott. And I've got an issue. I had a MyBook um, hard drive attached to my Airport Extreme being used as a network drive, I guess it's called. And I took it off of that and plugged it directly into my Mac because I was traveling, and I'm still traveling, actually. And I can't access any of the files. And as I have the computer running, I constantly get messages saying it can't find it and the IP address needs to be fixed or something. I'm wondering if there's any way that I can access those files without it going through the Airport Extreme. I assume that was giving out um, IP addresses and some of those NAS drives or something that I hear so much about. Um, But that would be my big question is, Am I able to access those files somehow? When I when I use Disk Utility, um, it doesn't show any files or folders. Um, and then I use another utility that said they were there, but couldn't access them. So, um, if you can let me know as soon as humanly possible, I had to go straight to the geniuses. So, um, and I just was listening to your last podcast. I think it's one thirteen, something like that. Um, so I know it'll be a while to get one out. But if you can let me know through email, that would be great. My email. All right. Oh, whoa. Yep. 
Uh, I think what he's talking about is called, uh, just to get the term down, which I haven't heard too much, but air disk. Oh, when okay. You connect the USB drive to an airport, uh, one of the newer airport stations, they call it air disk. And apparently there's a separate utility meant to deal with it. But uh, I just wanted to put that in there because I don't have one. I still have one of the, uh, well, the Linksys. So just want to toss that out there for the folks that, that haven't used this platform is that it's a, it's a really neat ability, which I wouldn't mind. I yeah. It, I, I used it at my buddy Layton's house. The last time I was down in Austin, we got him an airport extreme, the, hmm, you know, nice. 802.11 N and, uh, yeah, it, it, we took an existing HFS plus drive, plugged mm-hmm. it into the base station and it mounted just fine. And then we mm-hmm. okay. unmounted it and brought it over to the computer and plugged it back in work just fine uh i did look up a tech note on uh on apple's knowledge base 305038 but the link's in the show notes and there's nothing special about the way the airport extreme accesses the disc so assuming all else is equal i think the disc is should should just work if you plug it back into a mac unless of course the disc is and and we'll use a very technical term here hosed uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that's what's happened. I I, I honestly think the disc is uh, is hosed. Well, if he's not seeing stuff with disc utility, yeah, which I believe he said, then that that's a very bad sign if it sees nothing. Because yeah, I came across well, I came across something with a caveat is that some early versions of the uh, of the airport did not see certain USB drives. Right, they, you just they wouldn't show up in the utility as something that it wanted to share. And I don't know the exact reason. I think some of it had to do with, and actually I saw one thing had to do with double byte volume names. Some, you know, that there was a bug somewhere where if it had a, a double byte name, which is usually mostly Asian languages, not uh-huh. so much Anglo. Um, and I found a, and I'll link to that too, but it was a tech note saying change the volume name to something in just the single byte character set, you know, like most uh, English and Got Anglo. It languages um but there were some drives just like with the print sharing some printers just for whatever weird reason you know didn't show up and it's between apple and the the vendor of the equipment to kind of fight it out and figure you know who who's to blame who and who's gonna update their firmware to support the weirdness of the other <laughs> but yeah but with with this issue it's that he's plugging it into his mac and not seeing yeah, it and that's and bad no that, that's like they're, yeah they're serious uh, substantial serious i don't know yeah. How scary you want to get, but there's damage to that drive, and and uh, yeah, yeah ch- chances are my my guess is it is it was unplugged from the base station without being unmounted from one of the computers that was connected to it, and invariably that can cause uh, some pretty significant directory damage. Disk Warrior again would would be the 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 utility of choice here. It's not perfect, but it it goes ahead and rebuilds the directory no matter what, and that that's pretty much the only hope that. That you would have in that case, so you know that that's an annoyance that really gets me. Being a software and kind of hardware type of guy, if rather than telling the user you must dismount a drive in order to properly deal with it, yeah, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that when you disconnect a device, it could run a piece of software that will take care of all the nastiness that happens. But if the drive's already disconnected, it can't it can't do any of that. Well, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's feasible to write either, make either the hardware or the software, make it so that the user doesn't have to intentionally go to a certain control panel. Like the thing that still gets me on Windows is 
eject device. I remove the device. Why should I have to tell you and warn you that I'm going to remove it? Do, do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, it's the same with OS X. I mean, it, I don't... I, yeah, I it says, hey, you, you remove this without dealing with it properly, and I'm, I'm upset at you, and hopefully I didn't destroy it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, be, the thing is, something. though, you can't, right? The way the OS works, it's keeping a lot of stuff kind of... It, it, it's like a juggling act, right? I, I disagree. No, no, no. It's the way that it works. I mean, this is this is factual. It, it the, the OS is juggling all this stuff. And then yes. b before you when you tell the OS to unmount the drive, it says, ah, OK, well, there's some changes I need to make permanent on the drive. And I'm going to do those mm -hmm. now. And now I've unmounted the drive now that I've made those changes without making mm -hmm. those changes. The drive is in this kind of weird limbo state and you don't know where it is. So and, and the OS doesn't know that. Your hand is, you know, reaching around to the cable about to yank the thing out. So it goes, oh, ooh, ooh, better save yeah. all that stuff out. That That's right. Caching yeah, and all, all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I know. I know. Right. I, I've, I've done some of this. It's just if you, and maybe it's so ingrained in the current way that people write operating systems Correct. And, and hardware drivers and stuff that there's no way around it. But you see where I'm going with this. I do. It should be like unplugging something from the wall. You don't have to ask permission. <laughs> yeah, so the so the trick would be to tell the drive to have the drive do its own write caching, right? Which I know they yeah. do to a degree, but obviously the OS is doing more. But if if you had some sort of uh, chip available on the drive where you could you could program a very limited set of instructions to it, like yep. manage this data in such and such a way, and if I go away, do X, Y, and Z, and then we're good. Uh, so that would be, yeah, that'd be one yeah. way to do it. You'd, okay. Drives would need to be the, the firmware on drives would need to change yeah. alongside of the OS. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe 10 years from now. And uh, we, we may see it. I mean, anyway. You used to have to get a crank to start your car. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think Chris talking about going backwards. Dave and John, this is Chris here from Salem, Oregon. Uh, I had a quick question. I'm a recent switcher to the Mac. I just bought an iMac uh, Intel Core 2 Duo in February, I believe. Uh, I'm going great. Wanted to get a portable. Don't have much money. Had a friend that was getting rid of a PowerBook G4 17-inch, uh, 1.33 gigahertz. Beautiful machine, great condition. Got it for a, a really good deal, about the price of a Wii. Uh, anyway, um, wanted to know... If migration assistant works backwards, not from old to new Macs, but from new to old Macs, and um, kind of the concern here is going from that 160 gig hard drive in the iMac to the PowerBook um, 80 gig or after formatted, and with all the new updates in 10.4.10, I get about 69 gigs of hard drive space. Anyway, um, wanted to know if that was possible. I've never done a migration and didn't want to hook up. Oh, uh, is it FireWire 400 or 800, or can you pick and choose how to network them? Um, so completely clueless to it and wanted to know your take on it. Anyway, um, this is a cutoff point. You can yeah, so the migration assistant doesn't it is more OS dependent than it is hardware dependent. So my my feeling on this and, and curious your your thoughts John. My feeling on this is that as long as the OS versions between the two machines are greater or equal on the one to which the data is going, 
right? So if the uh, if the Mac, if the iMac is at 10.4.10, then the PowerBook would need to be at 10.4.10. And at that point, I think the migration assistant should take the stuff over just fine. I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. It's just slurping data and applications, so should should work just fine, regardless of the uh, OS type or that, regardless of the hardware type. Thoughts, John? Uh, my thought is yes. No, but actually, it got me thinking, what if you went in the direction of, uh, you know, so old to new and new to old are the two scenarios you could have, or same right. to same. Correct. Uh, though I've been thinking, you know, can you uh, go in a direction that's not expected and have the migration assistant do it for you? Like, like install, 10, install 10.3 on a machine and tell it to migrate data and settings from a 10.4 machine? Right. That's a very good question. I don't know. I was pondering that. I don't believe the question was <clears throat> along those lines, but I'm I'm trying to think because when I looked at what the migration assistant does, it, it says, you know, it does apps, network, machines. Uh, yeah, actually, you could get in trouble, but I would expect if it saw you trying to do something, obviously, out of the ordinary, it would say, eh, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, just trying, I'm just speculating, so, so it's kind of a tangent, but how smart and portable is the migration assistant? My, I, I don't know. My, my, uh, and I'm going to speculate here. Uh, my I've always guess, gone the forward direction, which is old course, to new. But. Of, of course, right. But my guess is that the migration assistant takes a look at the drive from which it is going to slurp data, and if it sees something out there that, it, that indicates that the OS is newer than what it knows about, my guess is it, is it would stop, but, but I, that is a guess. There is no experience whatsoever firsthand or even secondhand uh, that, that leads me to that conclusion. But simply, yep. you know, knowing how Apple is, especially with something like the Migration Assistant, which is totally built for novice users. But experts like it, too. Oh, I, I, well, we all do. Because I am amazed when it works. Works great. When before, I mean, you and I in the early days, uh, you would have to schlep all your apps over and your data, and it was just multi-day. You're process. talking like a weekend, if yeah. if if not more time. Yeah. When this thing does it in, you know, hours or, or less, depending yeah. on how you're set up. So, yeah. uh, and and you know, well, we'll tip the hat to our Windows friends, but but they have something similar. They do. It, it, it does a better job than past Windows versions. So That's right. everybody's happy. Yeah, very quickly to answer the Chris's second question, FireWire 400, 800, USB, uh, it doesn't. Uh, well, you know, I say USB. No, no. FireWire is what I've seen yeah. the assistant for. Because I think FireWire has different abilities as far as, well, especially target disk. I don't yeah. believe you can a target disk with USB. It's I, just not I think you what can. it does. I think well, I think you can make it a boot drive, but I do not believe you can do target disk. The thing is, I've never tried it. Every drive I've tried, and listeners, we look to you. Let us know. But my personal experience, I've only done bootable FireWire, not USB. Yeah, I think you're the right. Here, our FireWire. Now, I do have a dual one. Actually, I will, but it needs a power supply. That's why I hate USB. <laughs> right. Because FireWire drives can drive, you know, off of the power from the computer. Maybe you have to plug it in, but uh, USB drives, I think, typically need a uh, external source to do their thing. So, and I'll try that. I have a Lacie that I, I well, either use either way. Platform. If you're doing FireWire target disk mode, the machine needs power. 
Oh, yeah. 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 It's not going to power it over the firewire bus. Um, uh, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. No. If yeah. you've got a desktop Mac and you're yeah. going to put it in firewire target disk mode, you need to start it up with power. Mm. You can't start a Mac with, without power. Right? True. But on okay. a desktop. What's that? On a desktop, though. On a desktop. Yeah. yeah. Well, on a laptop, you've got a battery. It can't still, right. you can't start it without having the yes. battery, right? You got to start it up, hold down T at that point. I then understand. You can connect the firewire cable. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but uh, with the migration assistant that, or any firewire target disc mode, it will work over 400 or 800. It, it does not matter. Um, and, but, mm -hmm. but f as far as we know, will not work over USB. So mm -hmm. Jared writes in with two quick questions. I just got the top of the line 15 inch MacBook Pro and when I'm using it where it is dark plugged in or not the display turns dim. The strange behavior is when I have a bright web page up one that is mostly white the display gets brighter and vice versa. It is continuously changing back and forth. I went into energy saver and there was no way to adjust the sensitivity just a checkbox to do it or not. Any ideas? And question number two in my sound preferences often the balance moves slightly left or slightly right sometimes all the way to one side. I use my headphones a lot because I work all day at my computer. I wonder if removing the headphones is doing this. Is there any way to lock the balance centered? All right. So question number one, uh, John, you did some research and found where the ah, ambient the light, light sensor. sensor. So yes, yeah, so at least in some models, the left hand with this ambient light sensor. So, so this was via a review I found on Macintosh. Um, great site. So a uh, left-hand ambient light sensor under the speaker grill. So if you've always been wondering, because Apple is great at this, to put in these interesting, useful features, but you don't quite know where they are. Well, sometimes that's bad. <laughs> like in this case, you don't know where the light sensor is on the, on, the, uh, on the portable that makes it so that it dims the display and does the keyboard magic and stuff like that. So anyways, it's under the left um, speaker grill. Now, I think, Dave, you indicated that on that model machine, there's something under the right speaker grill, which is... Uh, the answer to the next question, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, anyways, um, from what I read on the review, with an errant finger nearby or a hand between the bright light source and the speaker grill, so you may be, depending on your motions around that area of the computer, maybe making it react in an unexpected way. So, just... So number one, we'll clue you in. It's on the left, kind of left-hand side speaker grill area. Um, and the display may do something kind of weird. Yeah. Well, and, and depending on how bright you have your display set, it is also possible that the light from the display, especially when you've got white web pages up, is enough to trigger the ambient light mm -hmm. sensor to then tell it to turn the brightness of the display down, which is sort of a chicken and the egg sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, I know it. I mean, it's it's sensing any ambient light, especially depending on how your your work is set up. If you've got something reflective behind you and your um, display lights up bright, it's going to reflect off of whatever is whatever is behind yep. you, hit the light sensor and bring things down. So, that, you know, any any of those is possible. Yep. Now, we have a guy, Amit Singh, which uh, you, you may remember him. Yep. But we've written a few articles that link to him. Uh, I'll. We'll link to it, of course. But um, anyways, he, he's a guy. So one thing that he wrote, which is very nice, is he found something. So this is like a hardcore developer type dude. Uh, he found the Apple motion sensor or, or found a way to interface to it and wrote a neat little piece, which uh, works on the PowerBook. I'm not sure about your machine, Dave. But the, there's a sensor in the MacBook 
the older machines that the text still, the still X, in the y, ones too. Okay, cool. So it its main purpose is to detect whether you've been a klutz and you've knocked your machine off of a table or something. It it registers high G forces, which usually a high G force is a precursor to something really bad happening to your computer, like you knocked off a table. This what it will do is say, Oh, you know, this guy's a klutz. I'm gonna park the hard drive and do some other stuff. Though mainly parking the hard drive, because if the hard drive head is parked and the drive is shut off, you won't destroy your hard drive. Well, you still may, because my, my understanding is some hard drive platters are glass, others are metal. It depends on yeah. the uh, technology that, that your machine has. Um, so that's one thing. But he also wrote a program, and we'll link to it, which accesses, so it's apparently an unpublished thing, but there is a way to get the values from this ambient light sensor. So just like he made this uh, program that would show you the orientation of your machine, and some people have actually totally geeked out and made it so you could do a lightsaber battle with your Mac equipped with certain <laughs> software that made lightsaber sounds. Have you seen this video? Oh, yeah. You haven't seen this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, where the guys are fighting with their power books like they're lightsabers. I mean, these guys, uh, uh, pegging the geek meter doesn't even begin to describe it. That's right. That's right. All right. So, so you were uh, to continue. <laughs> that's right. Moving, getting the train back on the track. So uh, internal mic. The sound preferences. That's right. The internal microphone is in is under the right-hand speaker, I believe, uh, and or under the right-hand speaker grill. And when you use iChat, uh, to do a voice conference, it actually disables the right speaker and only uses the left speaker if you're using the internal mic. And it does that to limit the amount of bleed back that it's going to get into the internal mic and, and sort of balance all that out. That being said, I've never seen that adjust the balance. Um, I know I've seen Skype will adjust the input gain on your, uh, whatever microphone you're using, be it, I mean, it's, it's doing it right now while John and I are talking. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, frankly, I wish there was a way we could turn that off, but there's not. So uh, at least not yet. What? No, there's no way to turn it off. Skype. You want to turn me off? Uh, that's right. Oh, uh, actually, I have a button for that, but the, I don't have a button for the, the automatic. <laughs> I have control. one too, but that's let's right. not bring it to that. <laughs> that's right. It doesn't need to go there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've never seen anything move the balance. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not possible. I'm, I'm sure there's an API that, that lets apps do this. So take a look at whatever audio apps you're running. I don't, I don't know if there's any iTunes plugins that would cause this to happen. I guess oh, it's there may be a keyboard fumble that could do that. I'm even thinking like oh, every yeah. now and then Apple has these secret key combos, which are usually pretty cool unless yeah. you don't know they're there. So I'm wondering if there's a, we'll, we'll look around you yeah. and I, but there may be an accidental keyboard combo that, yep. that knocks the balance right or left. Just guessing. Yeah. So I, that answer, I, I, I don't know. It, it is possible that iChat is doing this behind the scenes and then setting it back. And maybe something is causing it not to set it back. But again, that, that uh, seems very unlikely uh, knowing how, how Apple typically is with this sort of thing. So uh, if anybody out there knows and has seen their their sound balance change mysteriously, let us know. And speaking of you letting us know about things that uh, have happened in previous shows, we've got a couple of a uh, couple of quick catch ups uh -huh. to do. So the last week we talked about Firefox suddenly ignoring one's keyboard, and uh, we had a bunch of you write in saying, "Yeah, I saw this problem." 
And all I did was turn off one of my extensions to Firefox and it never happened again. I had one person write in and say it was the Google Sync extension. Uh, mm. So it's possible. And thank you, Eric, for writing in. Uh, it's possible that that was the solution there. If you're seeing this issue, try turning off extensions one by one and, and uh, see if you have the Google Sync extension, perhaps start with that because uh, we've had other, at least one other reader that's seen that one. The rest of the readers couldn't remember what it was, but they all said it, it, it certainly was related to an extension. So uh, I don't run the Google Sync extension and I have seen this, so uh, I'm not really sure what the, uh, what the magic answer there is, but, uh, but that's that. Uh, Kevin wrote in, uh, last week we were talking about, uh, a, we had a question about a quick interface to a database, database, a la visual basic. And Kevin wrote in Kevin from, from MacScriptor.net, Kevin Bradley wrote in and said, Apple script now includes a database events app that supports sweet. None other than SQLite databases. Uh, there's a great tutorial at Mac tech that we will link to written by uh, Ben Waldy and, uh, they have uh, at MaxScriptor.net, they've also got tutorials on both MySQL and SQLite and accessing them via AppleScript because that's what those guys do at MaxScriptor.net. And I, I think maybe for our next AppleScript show, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can oh. get Kevin on board and, and, and really, yeah. really. And you know, I, I got a feel for Kevin because I say if there's anything more, you know, looked down upon in the developer community than people who write Visual Basic, it's people that write Apple script. I mean, visual basics, a language, but Apple script, it's a scripting. No, yeah. just kidding. Yeah. No, well. Hey, you can do real. No. So, so yes. So those of you who develop may get a chuckle out of that, but uh, no, Hey, scripting languages with the right interfaces and the right features. Awesome. So yeah, I'm so glad he brought that. Cause I, I never would have thought Apple script cause I'm still, yeah. Eh, yeah. I'm not proficient in it. I'm, I'm a C guy and a, you know, visual basic type of guy and, ActiveX and Windows components. So, uh, yeah, I, n- I never would have thought of it either. It's alive and well. It, oh, it absolutely is. I've, I've done a very, very few things in AppleScript, and every time I do something, I'm always so amazed at, at how robust it is. Um, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not screaming fast, but, uh, but it's, mm-hmm. it's fairly efficient and, uh, and certainly easy to work with and without having uh, too many limitations. So, um, people like Kevin with groups that, you know, think about this all, all the time. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Uh, another Kevin, the Kevin from last week that wrote in saying when he was recording, uh, he used to record in Cubase and now in GarageBand, he's having these weird cutouts. And we talked about all the things you could look at to try and figure out your audio chain and checking out USB devices. Well, Kevin wrote in and he said he was using menu meters to check things out. And as it turns out, recording in GarageBand pegged his CPU mm. meter. Yeah. And, and, and he speculated that GarageBand required more CPU horsepower than, uh, than Cubase did. And he, and you're probably right. Uh, what I've found with GarageBand is that by default, even when you're recording, depending on what uh, profile you choose, let's say you use, you know, male uh, singing voice or, or female voice or whatever, mm. all that's doing is, is adding a bunch of effects to the in, the input stream, so maybe some compression, a noise gate, some reverb, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe some EQ. All those things are software-based effects, and they all use processor time. So if you're having this problem, record everything mm-hmm. really dry. Maybe if you if you can afford one bit of uh, 
uh, effects, try some compression because it's good to have some compression on the in on the input stream when you're recording vocals. But otherwise, turn everything else off, you know, in the in the little pane yeah. kind of down in the lower right there in GarageBand. Turn all that stuff off and you'll see your CPU usage will drop through the floor. It, mm. It'll really, really come way down. So so try that out. Uh and and see what happens. I know he's on an older G4 and uh, a yeah, single. I think kinda, he said he was on a, a G4 Mac Mini with five twelve megs of RAM. So ooh. yeah, maybe more RAM would be not bad. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But now I, the other thing. Now I was going to mention. Yep. Are you done? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm good. All right. You know, uh, I mean, the, th the other thing is you could really, you know, put your fist down and say, you know, I want my primary application to get all the processor time. You see where I'm going with this? I do. It's time to not be nice anymore. Now, the problem is, you know, back when Unix was written, you had all these hippies, and they were kind of, you know, just, uh, let's be nice to everybody and stuff. But I'm not about nice right now. I'm, I'm, I'm about being not nice. So the thing is, in Unix, there is a facility to set the nicest level of an application. Well, our friends at Northern Softworks have an application. And now, you could do this through the terminal, but, you know, that. That's kind of annoying. They wrote a really nice thing, and we've looked at it in the past. We'll link to it, of course, called Renicer. And this basically lets you set the nicest level of your applications. So for the application that you want, like audio processing, Cubase, things like that, you say, this is the boss. This is getting all the time. And then you take your other apps and you say, you know, you just kind of hang out. So, <laughs> so. The aspect of niceness, a lot of times, I mean, the OS handles it well and kind of balances things, but sometimes it doesn't do that great a job. Sometimes or you, you just, know best. You got to, you know that, for example, this app, which is doing audio, and Dave, you can certainly relate to this, they take a lot, they chew a lot of processor. Oh, yeah. So maybe you want to use something like Renicer and say, you know what? You're the boss. You're going to get all the time. It won't prevent other things from running, but they won't run quite as often as they do and and i mean kudos for running menu meters so you could see this but this will kind of this will do as good a job as you can on the chip you have now of course you if you got a g4 you got a g4 right <laughs> if you're at 100 percent, you're at 100 percent. it may be time to get a new computer yeah also quitting all your other apps uh rebooting just before you do it so as to clear out all the caches and everything and really running mm -hmm. as lean as you can without you know, and then adding GarageBand to the mix. Look at look at your login items, for example. Yep. There may be weird things that you're launching that you may not know about, and they kind of hide themselves. So, yeah, turn off automatic .max syncs as well because those can chew up <laughs> processor time without you no without you knowing it. it. It happens. I watch it. I watch it happening during the show here because this machine syncs. You know, every hour and sometimes during the show, uh, I'll see the, the CPU the, just goes nuts, right? Yeah, and uh, and I'll start what? thinking, oh, what's going on? And then, yeah, sure enough, that's what it is. So. Hey. I, uh, I, I, you know, we've got a couple other things, but I think they're going to need to wait till, uh, till the next show. I, I think we're, uh, sleepy. You're sleepy here, John. <laughs> Is that right? Well, I may, I may have sounded excited, but now I'm sleepy. Now you're worn out, aren't you? <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's go. I got to wake up early because I told you I'm going to be talking with that vendor of that wonderful product that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. I uh, think. if you have to wake up early, you know what, man, just stay up all night. It's the way the old uh, the old right. the old Unix hippies used to do it. Well, I got some, I got some fresh coffee beans. They just eat them. Ready? Don't, I don't got the grinder. Them. Just chew them up. That's all you need all night long. Just chew coffee beans. You'll be fine. 
If you can dip them in some chocolate, that'd be great. <laughs> what? That's a little too. Uh, the New Media Expo is well, September. We'll find out. Uh, you all right? I, th- I think we had a little Skype issue there. Uh, Whoop. The New Media Expo is September 28th through September 30th. John and I will definitely be there. And uh, and next year, it's actually about a month earlier. It's in August, and it's in Las Vegas. So check that out. Too. Uh, no more airport gymnastics. Thank you, <laughs> Media Expo. Yeah. Sure, I can get a flight from Bradley to Vegas with less hell. Yeah, I imagine you could. Uh, so next week will be a uh, review cast, but coming up, uh, I think two shows after that, we will do our switcher show. So uh, if you have any experience with that or any desires to experience it, let us know and we'll uh, we'll see about covering them all. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebone Software, one free download from Audible, but you got to click the link in the show notes and browse back from Smile on My Mac. You have downloaded this show from Cashfly. Thanks to them for all the hosting. And you can sponsor the show through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. With that, I think we're done. John, you got anything else well, to add? Did you, did you tell people review? Oh, review the show. Go to iTunes. That's right. Review the or, show. I like Podcast Alley. They're, they're, they're pretty hip. Yeah. Yeah, go to Podcast Alley. Vote. Sure. Doesn't matter. Whatever it takes. Both it's places. Us. Good stuff, bad stuff. Whatever. Yeah. We've improved our audio just for you who are driving in your car, I think. Yeah, we think. We heard actually heard back from a bunch of you, and, and uh, it sounds like we uh, we made the right t- compression tweak. Mm-hmm. So. All right, we're out of here. Hmm. Don't you think, John? It's time to go. <sighs> Now, you know the problem is, when I get this tired, I I don't really think about some things that are important. Like, when you're driving, you're worried about all those people behind you, you don't know where they're going? Is that what you're talking about, John? No. That's not what you meant? No. What did you mean? No. (laughs) Don't get caught. Made up.